Good morning, Grace Life. It's my privilege this morning to bring to you the Word of God, bring this to bear on our hearts and minds. As uh, just a little bit of background for this morning's sermon, a text selection was Pam's and I sat last Sunday in the membership class. Thessalonians chapter 5 and today's verses 12 and 13, we pointing out that there is a leadership structure that is implied and uh, obviously people coming underneath that leadership structure and so therefore
I've ever reflected on Mike's words, my mind takes me to Acts chapter 2, where the early church is described and how the, the people, the believers, how, they, how their actions uh, just shine forth. I'm reminded of verses 44 and 45, specifically in Acts 2, where we read, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And the sense have certainly felt as Lucifius, the way you have shared the stewardship that's been entrusted to you on our behalf. And we are eternally grateful for that. We're thankful for the uh, invitation into your homes back in August, the warm times of fellowship that we had there. We're thankful for your help in getting us rebuilt here and packed and settled, words of encouragement, and certainly for the way you've lavished generosity on us. Again, I just want to say thank you. But Luke actually shares more about this healthy church situation right at the earliest moments after Pentecost. And we read in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then jumping ahead a few verses, 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. There was unity. There was an investment shown. There was certainly a genuineness to their relationship. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a, this is a healthy church situation. This is, a, this is an example of a, a model church for us, even in its infancy. And we fast forward only about just over 20 years to AD 51, and we see another example of a healthy church situation. A model church, really, as Paul describes it, as he commends this young, thriving body of believers, comprised in large part of Gentiles, but also with some Jewish believers, and he commends them for their model conduct. The church in Thessalonica was vibrant and influential in their faith. And Paul's epistle here clearly demonstrates that. And yet, upon hearing Timothy's report, right, that Paul had sent Timothy, Timothy brings back this report of this thriving church situation, even though it's very young, Paul still desires to exhort them still more. certainly moving in the right direction, and Paul acknowledges that. And so we conclude in this letter that this letter has more of a stay-the-course type of flavor to it than is meant to correct, although that can certainly be taken out of the text itself. The letter has this as a general flow. We see in chapter, in chapter 1, 
Paul expresses thanksgiving to God for them. And then in the next two chapters, two and three, he issues several reminders to them about his time together with them, the impact that that had. And then finally, in the final two chapters, he spends time in exhortation to believers. And it's in these this exhortational section that we find ourselves. You see, in the beginning of chapter 5, if you just glance down, you see he's talking about the day of the Lord. He's giving them some instructions in that. And he's telling them of a need to be alert and to remain sober in light of this impending day of the Lord that is that is coming. And Paul then, right after, in rapid-fire succession, gives 15 imperatives on how the church ought to continue living as a model church. And this is still helpful today, even for us, as we desire to excel still more. So there's a lot to be gleaned out of these verses. So let's, let's read the text here. Follow along as we begin in verse 12 of chapter 5. Paul writes, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seeking seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Now, I know that the bulletin this morning says that we're going to be going through to verse 22, but I've decided to turn this into a two-part series. There's so much here that can be learned from this. I don't want to gloss over things. I'd rather spend uh, a more in-depth uh, study here in, in the Word this morning. So let's consider these four verses and what Paul teaches us from them. I titled this sermon this morning, Live in Peace, and it really stems from that, that main imperative there that we see at the end of verse 13. And this morning in the text, we see Paul giving the Thessalonians two sets of exhortations regarding Christian conduct, so that you will know how to live as a part of a model church. So that's two sets of exhortations regarding our Christian conduct, so that you will know how to live effectively as part of a model church. And I've just simply broken this into two parts. So we'll see the Christian's proper conduct towards first leaders in verses 12 and 13, and then towards believers and even unbelievers in verses 14 and 15. Proper conduct towards leaders, and then proper conduct towards unbelievers. So first, Paul exhorts the brethren in the conduct towards their leaders in verses 12 and 13. So let's just go through this text again here. But we re- 
request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those diligently who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So Paul gives us a string of exhortations here that really connect back to chapter 4 and verse 1 if you just glance over there. And he says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, because you actually do walk, that you excel still more. And here, he, he serves to bring a higher definition to what he has started in, in chapter 4 and verse 1. And so, rather than calling for obedience and submission outright, he actually appeals to the Thessalonians' sensibilities. And he asks them to appreciate and to highly esteem a very particular group within the church. And notice that Paul doesn't name names here. And he, he doesn't list titles for us. But rather he describes these individuals according to their efforts and the responsibilities that they have, and then also their purpose, the purpose that has been given them. So first we'll look at understanding who and identify who Paul is exhorting them to appreciate and highly esteem. And then secondly, we'll, we'll examine Paul's specific requests of appreciate and to esteem highly. Let's, let's take a look at these first three Greek terms that, that really literally can be translated as such. They're, to, they, they're described as people who are strenuously toiling. They are ruling, and they are instructing. These are the tasks that are given to them. And the NASB translates this first word as diligently labor. This is strenuous toiling even to the point of weariness. This is physically and mentally and spiritually exhausting work that, that these men have. And Paul uses this same term in other letters when he's referring to ministerial labors. We see this actually presented in two different ways. First, according to the physical labors that accompany ministry, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 11 and 12. He says, to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless, and we toil, working with our own hands. We toil, strenuous labor. And then he also employs this same term to describe the spiritual nature of his labor. And we read about this in 1 Timothy 5.17, where he writes, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who work hard, who toil at preaching and teaching. So individuals within the church that Paul is uh, exhorting the Thessalonians to appreciate, these are, these are those who, who are working in an especially 
house and manner. And then secondly, he describes them as those who are having who have charge over you. And this hard work includes ruling or governing. It uh, describes a position of of leadership or authority. And so the appreciation here that's demonstrated in part is through a submission to that authority that's been granted to them. And so this this work, as we if we think of it, carries an extensive re- amount of responsibility, really. But there's a there's a special nuance to to this word, this thought of having charge. You see, it also includes this sense of concern, a nuance of caregiving. And we, we see this in this letter. We see this as Paul describes his work among the Thessalonians, where he uses a metaphor. He refers to himself as like a nursing mother to her own children, or as a father who is exhorting, encouraging, and imploring his own children. So there's this aspect of care, nurturing, protection, modeling, instruction, exhortation, all of these things. And so we need to understand that what what Paul is saying here is that this is governing together with caregiving. And this is what describes further these people that are to be appreciated within the church. And he modifies this one in one further way. He says, those who have charge over you in the Lord, or their position of authority, is only in association with Christ. They're not autonomous, but rather they've been given that position. And then finally, we see that they're described as ones who give you instruction. Literally, we could say, they give you admonition. Their, their instruction includes this, this sound of warning to avoid certain things or even to cease certain things altogether. And so from, from these three descriptors, from these three terms, we really see that Paul has elders in mind here. These are the church leaders that he's exhorting the Thessalonians to appreciate and to esteem highly. But why? Why issue appreciation to elders or leaders? Do we do that just simply because the Bible says so? Well, yes. Yeah, certainly we do. But we need to notice something here that that Paul is, is giving us. And and really, th- for this, to understand this, we need to look at these two imperatives that he gives us. To appreciate and to esteem highly. So bear with me for a moment here. He, he selects a term here that's very important for us to understand. You see, in the Greek language, there are two terms that actually can refer to knowledge. There's oida, and then there's also gnosko. And he's chosen... Oida, that's the, the root word here, really that uh, the word that he uses is, is derived from. So where gnosko means to know and that, that knowledge comes by observation, through observation, 
Um, he, he uses the word goida here, and that, that has a different sense. It actually, um, it means that the knowledge that one has arrived at, it's been arrived at through careful reflection based on what has been experienced. So this, this goes much deeper, this understanding, this knowledge. There's a, there's a mental process that is based on intuition. And this perception of these men, their leaders, has been more carefully formulated than just simply ob- observing them. The people are able to think through what they've seen and the, the basis for it, the reason for the character that these men show, and the effort that they put in to their work. And they come to this realization, and it's a realization both in their minds and in their hearts, that this work has been given to them, it's ordained by God. And they also understand that one day these will stand before God and give an account for the work for which they have been tasked. We, we know about this because the writer of Hebrews shares with us in 13 and verse 17, where he writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, we need to understand that although the Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church was a healthy church, unhealthy churches got our landscape certainly, and they're plagued with conflict within them between congregants and leaders, between sheep and shepherds. And in some, in some ways, some of this can be, um, I guess, understood because some people in, in, within the church have remained ignorant or perhaps are carrying misconceptions regarding the character and work of elders. And that's why I'm so appreciative for what Paul does here in describing the work, the labor of these men. It's a, it's a strenuous labor, but it's a noble task. And Paul uses the present tense here in the imperative and really, he's saying, continue to appreciate these men. Not only at one point in time, but continually. And then secondly, we see the second imperative of esteeming them very highly. He calls for this. And the imperative here means to think of them highly, or to consider them, or to believe something about them. And while this second imperative stands in, it stands parallel to the word appreciate, he, he gives in the second imperative, he actually intensifies the expectation placed on the brethren. And he does so by inserting an adverb. And that adverb could mean superabundantly or beyond all measure, and the NESV translates it as highly. So not simply esteem them, abundantly esteem them. You know, reach within yourself and 
brought out the greatest thing that we could possibly say. So this thinking of them by far exceeds what would be the norm in society. So notice that both of these imperatives really are appealing for us to go on a, a bit of an intellectual endeavor here. And then Paul also tells us the means by which achieving these imperatives is actually accomplished. He says, esteem them very highly in love, and so the esteem for their leaders is only made possible by the Christian love that they have for them. It's done with a spirit of love. see here in verse 13, now Paul will explicitly state the reason for these imperatives. He says it's because of their works, right? So we had to look at those three terms to understand the nature of their works and begin to understand the picture that Paul is giving us here, but now he just comes right up and says it, esteem them highly because of their works, do this in love because of their works. And there's no greater example here in this. This is really the first letter written in the canon. And so this is the first letter to address Christian leadership in the church. These are the first instructions, the first imperatives that we have in the canon of how we ought to conduct ourselves. And there's no better example than the men who are featured in the text here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We can go to their example of their ministry to understand what does this look like? What does this strenuous toil look like, this labor that they did? Well, we see that they proclaim the gospel in chapter 1 and verse 5. They lived Christ-like lives that were worth imitating in chapter 1, verse 6. They persevered through tribulation and suffering and and they did so in boldness with God. They had a boldness in God in 1 and 6 and in 2 verse 2. They didn't speak from error or impurity or deceit in 2 verse 3. They didn't use flattery in an attempt to please men in chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5. They were selfless. They were not driven by greed. In fact, they imparted not only the gospel of God, but also their own lives they gave over. They toiled physically and spiritually, working day and night so as not to be a burden to you. They proclaimed to you the gospel of God in 2 verse 9. And they cared for these believers as a mother or as a father. They modeled devout, upright, and blameless behavior. In 2 verse 10, they were irreproachable. Nobody could hang anything on them. And when they were instructing, they exhorted and encouraged and implored these children. So you see the works right here. Is that right, Grace Life? You see the works of leaders as modeled by 
Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And there's one other thing that we have to note here, and that is that all of their work and the heart required to actually fulfill that obligation was completely laid bare before an audience of one. Paul tells us that. He says, God is witness, says Hebrews 5. And then again he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, in Hebrews 10. But even the laborers know for whom they labor and whom they feed. And so it makes perfect sense that the Thessalonians would be asked to appreciate and esteem the leaders modeled after the pattern that's set by Paul and his ministry partners. And as Paul finishes in his first three exhortations regarding the believer's conduct by saying this, live in peace with one another. And this is really an overarching imperative. It considers everything that he has just said but also everything that he has even mentioned in chapters 4 and 5. And as I said earlier, these imperatives are, are really to remind them to stay the course, to encourage them to continue along rather than to point out corrections. Although there may very well have still been some discord that could have arose in Thessalonica, we read about you know, him talking about sexual immorality and views on that. We read about how he gives further instruction on those who had fallen asleep and the return of the Lord. And then certainly he, in the beginning of verse or chapter 5, he talks about the day of the Lord. So there could have been some back and forth between people with different views. But ultimately... He says, peace needs to rule throughout here. This is what we need to strive for, what we need to continue in. So believers in the church need to be at peace with their elders, and elders in time need to be at peace with people in the church, and believers with one another, which I believe is really a a byproduct of good relationships between the congregants and those who are leading the congregants. And so, appreciate, esteem them highly, live in peace. This is the proper conduct towards leaders. Now, second, we see Paul exhort the brethren in the conduct towards one another in verses 14 and 15. So direct your eyes back to the text. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Paul really uses a broad brushstroke here to give all the people in the church these next imperatives. And he issues this in in a really strong appeal, realizing that there may very well be people inside the body 
who are struggling in their walk of faith. And we must, mustn't overlook that he, he refers to the brethren a second time here. That he's expressing a close affinity with with the people that he's addressing, the readers. And he's addressing them on a really personal level. He says, admonish the unruly. These need to be warned of behaving in a, in a manner that's disorderly. And he uses a term here that's used metaphorically to describe a soldier who, who doesn't remain in the ranks. He's, he's left the ranks. He's out of order. He's out of place. And he's not where he should be. And this is describing behavior inside of the church that's uncharacteristic of what would and should otherwise be expected in the church. Now, some commentators will understand this term to describe a laziness or an idleness or a, a carelessness on the part of the person. And in a sense, I, I would agree with that because if you have fallen out of the ranks, if you are not following the instructions, if you are have put the, the precepts of, that's been given to you as a member of the church, if you've set that aside, then you are in a sense idle because you are not doing as you ought to do. You can't be moving forward. And so you'd be unable to perform the task that is expected of you. And this is due to an insubordinate attitude, really, to, to not following orders. And so the warning here is to fall in line as necessary and to come alongside these admonishing unruly behavior. It's actually a requirement of a healthy church. This isn't something that's absent from a model church. No, it's something that's actively ongoing. We've seen this in the membership class. It's already been referenced in church discipline. But this is, this is a normal part of a healthy church environment. And those to be found out of alignment with Christian precepts need to be confronted. And the position needs to be exposed to them, to call them back, to bring them back into alignment with the truth. Now, there's a second group here that need to be cared for, and those are those are the ones that are described as faint-hearted. We're to encourage the faint-hearted. These are those who struggle with discouragement, and this may be for several reasons. Maybe there's persecution that has discouraged them. Maybe it's life circumstances, or maybe there's a consciousness of ongoing, persistent, personal sin. And they need to have others come alongside them to strengthen them. And this imperative really could be defined in, in a sense as to console them, to give them comfort, or to exhort them. The term here literally means small souls. There's a sense of despondency within the believer. And a clear contrast here is really found when compared to the unruly, right? The unruly are quite different than the despondent. And 
Interestingly enough, Paul uses a middle, middle voice term here. So this encouraging, to encourage the faint-hearted, this actually results in a benefit also to the encourager, the one that is doing the encouraging, benefits from coming alongside and giving that encouragement. And Paul illustrates this coming alongside, this encouraging the faint-hearted when he when he's addressing those who had questions about about uh, the dead in Christ and that they might miss out on the return of the Lord. And he says in verse verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort these faint-hearted who struggle to understand this. And then next, he addresses the need for direct physical and spiritual support to those who were weak. He says, help the weak. Show a strong interest in these. Help them. Lend aid to them. Come alongside them and give support. These are those who are without strength, or feeble, perhaps spiritually or morally weak, very quickly give in to sin. And Paul gives us instruction and also gives us the initiative that should be taken for those who are immature in the Christian faith. And again, we need to come alongside. We need to bolster in some way these brothers, these sisters. And then finally, in light of all of these imperatives, addressed to the, the church is amongst one another. There's a need for patience that would be applied in all situations and all circumstances. He says, be patient with everyone. And we can understand this as be patient with everyone to the exclusion of no one. Right? This is a patience, this is a patience of being expressed to, to, to all who are in the Thessalonian church without distinction. And this list of imperatives given to the brethren was given not only to a select few, but it was issued to all of these things. No one's exempt from these inner workings. This, this is healthy fellowship. These are the proactive steps of a model church. A model church addresses issues within it and comes alongside of people in need. And then finally, we see in verse 15 here, where Paul then warns the Thessalonians to pay careful attention to their behavior while examining the motives behind the behavior. So, we can come alongside people, but with the wrong motives. Here he gives us the correct motives. And he really puts this out in front of us by using a, a term here that the NASB translates as see, but it could also be translated as behold or take heed. Pay careful attention to this. 
maybe to heighten the reader's awareness so that no one, or so that one guards against what Paul is about to say. We need to guard against it. Paul's expressing a, a prohibition here. One commentator says that this is a categorical prohibition against retaliation, whether that be injurious, harmful, or of evil intent. It's a wide-ranging prohibition meant to stop acts of revenge, meant to stop trading evil for evil, exchanging evil for evil. We must ultimately remember that vengeance does not belong to man. Paul wrote in Romans 12, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So the believer is never to respond with revenge when one finds himself the recipient of evil. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience it within the church. Yes, we can be mistreated. We can have others sin against us, but we don't retaliate. don't do anything that would be bad, wrong, or harmful, even if that is done to us. And yet, how quickly our hearts and our minds, our thoughts, can turn towards revenge in us. Even, I was thinking yesterday as we were meeting with the, the men's men's team, how easy it, it was, as some shared, how easy it was to snap at back at a child for their poor behavior. And rather than model good behavior, we actually, we repay evil with evil, essentially. We ought not do that. But to contrast this negative command, Paul then issues this positive command, which we'll end with. Now, in insisting that the appropriate conduct is to eagerly seek after doing good for all, seek after the good of all, whether believer or unbeliever. Here again, we're always to seek after, to make this our pursuit, to do morally good, to do that which is beneficial to others and acceptable to God. This aids the Christian's witness to the unbelieving world, and it certainly maintains within the church. So Paul provides us with exhortations to apply immediately within the church for the benefit of all. And we need to remember here again that we need to live in peace with one another. That's really what he's gotten at here in these four verses. Be at peace with the leaders, with the elders in the church. And be at peace with one another by exercising these imperatives that he's given us. And so Paul teaches us a lot, actually, about the work of leaders and how we must view them and how we are to contribute to the overall health of the church by coming alongside one another when we face a problem that is common to man. Think of it this way, maybe. 
What would Paul say to us regarding all this? Well, we know what he has said a couple of times in this epistle. He says, excel still more. Excel still more. And that would be my exhortation this morning is to excel still more at these very things. Understand at the same time that although Paul commands to be at peace and live at live in peace with one another, that some here may very well think they're able to do that in amongst other people, but they're not currently living at peace with God. They have no peace. And so, rather than be able to truly appreciate and esteem highly the work of Christ on the cross on behalf of sinners, they've disregarded that. They've not received God's mercy or grace. That's concerning because it's given, can be given freely. Haven't acknowledged Christ's death on the cross and what it has accomplished. And we need to come before God and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's a promise there that you will be saved. Friend, if if you have concerns this morning about where, where you are at spiritually, elders here in the church that would love to talk to you. Perhaps it's the person that has invited you here this morning. Ask them. Ask them to explain this to you further. Ask them to tell you how you can be reconciled to God so that you too can live in the church appreciating and esteeming highly those who will disciple you Again, we're so grateful for all that you have shown from your word. Now, there is so much in your word that so easily to glance over and, and not really come to terms with what you have said. But here we see that you give, through Paul's pen, very specific instructions for us. Stay the course. Continue on appreciating. Continue on esteeming highly those whom you have tasked with the role of elders, leaders in the church. And Lord, help us to be submissive to them. Help us to walk in Recognize and come alongside of people who are struggling in a variety of ways. Father, we know that the answer.
answer is found in your word. And I pray that you would enable us further to continue to give biblical counsel to those who are unruly and faint-hearted and weak. Lord, that we would show the greatest of patience, only patience toward all of us. 